Today, as we open up God's Word, I want to attempt to do what I pray we do every single Sunday we come to worship, give you a big vision of Jesus. To do so, we are going to open up the book of Revelation chapter 1 as we begin the last book of the Bible and our last book that we'll look at in this two-year-long sermon series, God's Story, Our Story, as we look at the book of Revelation and we seek a vision of a big Jesus, here in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is revealing himself to the apostle John. John, the apostle, the scribe of this letter, is receiving a revelation from Jesus himself, a vision of grandeur and glory, a vision of an exalted Jesus high and lifted up. John, the scribe of Revelation, has been exiled by the Roman government, exiled to the island of Patmos, a Roman penal colony, The letter is to real churches, churches in an area known as Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. That's important for us to remember that this book was written in a real place and time to churches in a real place and time with a very specific message. Christians in the first century were being asked to bow the knee to Caesar and to worship him as Lord And the Christians of the first century said, no, we will bow the knee to none other than Jesus Christ as our only Lord. Caesar is not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And it's in the midst of an intense persecution that Jesus reveals himself to John and to the early church. Now, by way of introduction, let me say a few words about the book of Revelation Because it's important to read Revelation with this in mind. When people ask me, Pastor, are we living in the end times? I say, absolutely, without a shadow of doubt. They say, how can you be so sure? Well, when you read the book of Revelation and you read the Gospels of Jesus Christ, we are told that the end times actually begin with the life, death, resurrection, and royal ascension of Jesus. The end times began 2,000 years ago. The end times was inaugurated by the first advent of Jesus, and the end times will be consummated by the second advent of Jesus when he comes again in glory. So we have been living in the end times for 2,000 years as the people of God existing as a people that are set apart. Now, you need to also read Revelation with this in mind that many of the things that we will read about in Revelation already happened. Not all of them happened, but some of them happened. But Revelation serves not only as a book that will tell us things that happen in the future, but it will also serve as a paradigm and a pattern for the people of God to say, this is how God provided for his people, and we believe that this is how God will continue to provide for his people, So the book of Revelation is full of events that have happened and full of events that will happen again. 
We know that in chapter 1, for instance, John says, these things must soon take place, that the time is near. Jesus himself said the kingdom of God is at hand and that the kingdom will come within a generation. Now you might say, what is the big deal about Revelation? Popular culture has uh, convinced us to believe that Revelation is about beast and antichrist, demons and angels and fire, millennium and antichrist. And if you read Revelation, and that is your big takeaway, you have missed the point of Revelation. If the theme of the Bible is the kingdom of God, then the theme of Revelation is the final glorious victory of the king and the kingdom that will be consummated on earth as it is in heaven. That is the theme. If you are more obsessed with the rise of the Antichrist over and against the coming of the true king, you've missed the point of Revelation. You see, Revelation, for those that are in Christ is a message of hope and a message of good news to a people under persecution. And I pray that the study of Revelation over the next few months would do exactly that. You say, Pastor, I came to church today for something practical. How in the world is Revelation practical? I want to propose to you today in the following weeks that the book of Revelation, particularly in this cultural moment, might be the most relevant thing that you could receive as the people of God. Let's look together at Revelation chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. Christians in the first century were facing intense persecution, death, plagues, pandemics, social and political division, cultural corruption, wars, and rumors of wars. Sound familiar? Was not only a word for the first century church, Revelation's a word for the 21st century church as well. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit of the, on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And turning, I saw the seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet with burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand held the seven stars and his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. The living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades and the grass withers and the flower fades on this Lord's day, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen.
I want to ask you a question. How big is your vision of Jesus? The answer to that question will radically shape the quality of your life. I'm afraid today in the 21st century, even inside the church, our vision of Jesus is rather small. Our vision is typically shaped of popular culture, movies, television, and literature. But I want to present to you today a vision of Jesus that is big and grand. A vision of Jesus that is far greater than anything you could have hoped for or imagined. And I want to present a Jesus that in the midst of the fire and storms of life is exactly the Jesus that you need. A vision of Jesus that is not a shrink A vision of Jesus that is not an advisor and a vision of Jesus that is not even your buddy, but a vision of Jesus that is grand and glorious, far bigger than you could have ever imagined. Two things we see here in Revelation chapter 1, a big vision of Jesus that satisfies the deepest longings of our heart and a vision of Jesus that provides you and me with absolute security. A vision that satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. This book is often referred to as not only Revelation, but the Apocalypse of St. John. What in the world is an apocalypse? An apocalypse is a vision, an unveiling of something that was once hidden, once a mystery, but now revealed in the truth of God's word. Jesus is being unveiled as an apocalyptical vision to St. John the Apostle. And what is being revealed here in Revelation chapter 1 is no ordinary Jesus, but Jesus as the divine Son of God. See, what is happening here in Revelation chapter 1 is the veil that had hidden Jesus is now being pulled back. The veil of the temple is nail being pulled back and Jesus is being revealed to John and ultimately to you this morning as the glorious son of God, fully God. You see, all of the phrases that are used in verse 14 and 15 and 16 are words that were once used to describe Yahweh in the Old Testament. And now these words that were once used to describe Yahweh And verses 14, 15, and 16 are now being applied to the very Son of God. When we read, for instance, that when he saw his face in verse 16, it was like a face shining like the sun that is describing the Shekinah glory of God radiating from the Son of God. The Shekinah glory that we read about in the Old Testament is now the Shekinah glory that is radiating from John to the Apostle John. It is a picture of Jesus on fire, and it says that John fell like a dead man. Now that is significant, because it does not say that John died, but he fell as It was if he was dead. 
And what is significant about that is understanding the story that begins in the garden. You see, this takes us back to the very beginning of the story. And we read about humanity created in the image of God, but being image bearers that were created to receive the glory of God. Image bearers that were able to look into the face of God and it wouldn't destroy them, but it would give them life. We read of image bearers that were created for God created for his glory, created to stand in his presence to receive his favor and to receive his face. But in Genesis chapter three, the story took a turn for the worse. And instead of longing and being content with receiving the favor and the face of God, instead of being his image bearers that were content and that their needs were fully satisfied by the glory of God, they sought after their own glory. And through the rebellion of our first parents, we lost the face and the favor of God. And instead of the glory of God being life-giving as it was in Genesis 1 and 2, now the glory of God would crush humanity. And all throughout the Old Testament, nobody could look at the face of God. Nobody could experience the, the Shekinah glory of God and survive until now. And what John's experience in Revelation 1 is pointing to us is that Jesus has come to declare the good news that humanity can now stand before the presence of God, that humanity can now stand before the Shekinah glory of God and no longer be crushed and destroyed, but me made whole. And it would be through the vicarious substitution of Jesus Christ, that the deepest longings of our heart would be satisfied, that that inner void that we lost in the garden would now be fulfilled and satisfied through the work of Jesus Christ. I once heard a Christian counselor say, all the restlessness of humanity could be summed up in the story of humanity searching for that one thing that only God could satisfy. John's vision and his response and his reaction to the glory of God shows us that finally we have the one thing that can bring us back to the favor and the face of God. The one thing that will satisfy that deep void in all of our hearts. The reaction of John announces the end of restlessness. And I am here today to remind you yet again that that void in your life, that inner restlessness of the soul will never be satisfied, will never be fulfilled until you encounter Jesus as John encountered him in all of his glory, in all of his grace. I don't care if you're 26 or 96, there is nothing under the sun that will satisfy the longings of your heart other than the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. Do not be tempted for one second to think anything, but Jesus can fill that void. It is a vision that satisfies the deep longings of our heart. But not only does a vision give us the satisfaction that we long for, the second thing that we see here is it is a vision of a big Jesus that provides absolute security. I remind you that in the first century, they were facing things that more than likely no one in this room will ever face. They faced being impaled. 
lit on fire, crucified, thrown to wild animals, and it is in the midst of that reality that Jesus appears to them. But look at the description of Jesus. In verse 14 and 15, it is a Jesus in the midst of the tribulation and fire. It says that he is in the midst of the flame in verse 14 and in the midst of the furnace. You see, our Jesus is so big that he is not on the outskirts of our fire, but he is in the very midst of our fire. And through this, we are given utter security and utter hope that our God is not removed from our suffering. He is not removed from the fires of this life and of this world, but he moves into the fire. It is a Jesus that is in the tribulation with his people. But did you notice something that sounds familiar? A furnace, a fiery furnace. The Son of Man in the midst of the fiery furnace. When have we seen people in a fiery furnace? It's brilliant. Revelation 1, the end of the story, is taking us back to the Old Testament portion of the story, namely Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, at the end, we see another Caesar-like figure. His name's Nebuchadnezzar. And he too is demanding the people of God bow the knee and worship him. But there's three Jewish men in particular, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refuse to bow their knee to Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, so be it, even if it, myth, if it means being thrown into the fiery furnace. But what do we see at the end of Daniel 3? We see three men, courageous and bold, but not consumed. But we see a fourth man in the fire. And Daniel chapter three says the fourth man in the fire does not allow the three men to be consumed. And it says it's like the image of the son of man. Revelation chapter one is the fulfillment of the promise that even in the fire of life, that God will climb into that fire with us. The promise of the scriptures is not that you will not go into the fire. The promise of scripture is that the fire will not get hot. But the promise of scripture for the children of God is that because God climbs into the furnace with us, we will not be consumed. This is the promise and the hope of the people of God, a vision of Jesus so big that he is big enough to even in, enter into the storms and fires of our life, and it is that reality that provides us absolute and utter security. I don't know about you, but I cannot think of anything worse than going through the fires of life alone, and the children of God have a hope beyond all hope that no matter how hot it gets, no matter how hard the storm rages, that you will not be consumed. So therefore, do not be afraid. In verses 17 and 18, the last two verses that we read, Jesus says something so profound. Can we put those words back on the screen? John bowing his knee before the Shekinah glory of God receives 
the healing, life-giving, cleansing touch of Jesus, the touch that he expected would be horrifying to stand in front and before a holy God is now life-giving and cleansing and altogether wonderful. And with a touch, John is healed. And with a touch, John is cleansed. And Jesus says the most profound things. He says, John, you know, I was dead, but now I'm alive. And now I hold the keys to death and to hell. What is Jesus saying? He says, I've gone to the grave and I've come back. And I am the one who holds the keys, which was a signal to John and to the watching world that we have in Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered the grave once and for all. Do you believe it? The most glorious news you could ever receive is that in Jesus we know the one who took care of our greatest challenge and our greatest fear, death itself. And he says, and I hold the keys. And I want to ask you as a believer of Jesus Christ, do you live and act and talk as if you know the one who holds the keys to hell? And to the grave, the conquering hero, that is our Jesus. I don't know what you walked in here with today. But the only thing I can offer you, regardless of what you're facing, is a big Jesus. A Jesus that is far bigger than anything you're facing in life right now. A Jesus that is big enough to satisfy the longings of your heart. A Jesus that is big enough to give you absolute security. That is the Jesus offered to you this morning. A Jesus that alone can fill that inner void. I'm here to tell you that nothing in this life and nothing in this world other than Jesus can fill that void and can give you utter certainty and security, it will determine the quality of your life and the life that is to come. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So if you have not come to that place where you, like John, have bowed the knee to Jesus, today can be the day where you can meet this glorious Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And the promise is this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, not only from the fire of this life, but the fire of the life that is to come. This is the hope for the people of God, now and forever. Would you bow the knee to Jesus? Would you come home? And would you fall on your knees before a Jesus that is far glorious, far greater than anything you could have ever hoped for or imagined? In 2016, actor and comedian Jim Carrey was presenting at the Golden Globe Awards. And before he presented the award, he said something far more profound than probably he even realized. He said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Two-time Globe winner Jim Carrey. And you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just any ordinary guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. 
And when I dream, I just don't dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then, he says with a smile, I will be enough. I will fi- it will finally be true. And I could stop this terrible search for what I ultimately know will never fulfill me. I think that was the last time Jim Carrey presented at the Golden Globe Awards. Did you hear what he said? Then I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately will not fulfill me. He is saying this to a room of millionaires that are all searching for one thing, to have a tiny golden statue that will sit on their tiny little shelf that will somehow prove to them that they matter somehow prove to them that they're worth it. And unfortunately, we're no different. We are obsessed with vying for our little statue that will sit on our little shelf, failing to believe that Jesus is enough and buying the lie of the world that we somehow need something beyond the Jesus of the word that tells us You have everything you need, the deepest longings of your heart, the utter security that your soul longs for. If you're a parent raising children, you need a big Jesus. If your marriage is on the rocks, you need a big Jesus. If you've been abandoned, living in isolation, you need a big Jesus Facing anxiety or stress, being disillusioned by the world, you need a big Jesus. Nearing the end of your life, you need a big Jesus. You've lost a child, you are down and discouraged, and at the end of your rope, you need a big Jesus. He's offered to you this morning freely. If you have this Jesus, you do not need what the world has to offer. This Jesus is enough. Do you believe? Do you believe that he is enough to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart and give you the utter and absolute security that you so desire? For what you make of Jesus will determine the quality of your life, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Amen?